We're in a series at Cowboy Junction called Corinthians 2, and we're taking a look at the second letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. And we want to welcome everybody on our online campus. Can you guys help us welcome everybody at the Juvenile Detention Center and attending our online campus? <laughs> Woo! Good to see you guys and gals. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm a struggling violinist. Yes, let me just kind of show you. There you go. You can tell how good it is at our, at our house come Christmas time. I've been, I've been trying for five years now how to, pl- to learn how to play this. But the thing about learning an instrument is it's all about being at the right place, doing the right thing, having your fingers in the right spot, having your hands doing the right things. There's places to be and there's places not to be, right? If you want to play it right, you've got to do the fundamentals right. But do you realize that just learning what the fundamentals are and putting your fingers in the right place, that's the second thing to the most important thing. You know what the most important thing is to playing an instrument? Is it tuned? Is it tuned? See, when I first started playing, I... Who, we don't need to tune. <laughs> Who needs to tune? Let's just play. I'm ready to play. I'm ready to just play. But every day, my fingers would be in a different spot. Now think about that. Every day, my fingers would be in a different spot. And it was because every day, my instrument was untuning itself. Does this make sense? I mean, there's pressure being put on these strings. And if you let it sit overnight, it kind of just stretches itself to where your fingers were the day before. You now have to move your fingers to fit the untuned of your instrument. So before any time I play, I have to go through the laborious, boring procedures of tuning my instrument. The first key or the first string here is the key of G. G, G, can you hear it? G, that sounds like a G to me. Does that sound like a G to you? You wouldn't know, who would know? I don't even know if it's a G, okay? But I'm just assuming, do you guys ever assume? Assumption is the lowest form of intelligence, okay? Assume, there's a whole big spelling. I dare you to just spell assume. It makes an out of you and me. Yeah, that's funny. That's good stuff. Right? See, what you, see what you get in the second service? Assumption. Assumption. I just assume that's got to be G. Let's play. And the reality is you wouldn't know if it's G or not. So I get something that's a lot more experienced than I am, a tuner. And a tuner basically just helps me. Ooh, it lets me know you're right on. Way to go. And just like that, I know that I am tuned so that I can just break down with the funky ditty and just get down with it. And that's, that's anyway, you can only jazz up Silent Night so much, okay? Why am I talking to you about this today? Because in Paul's second letter, he comes 
and starts loving on people. He begins to correct them in a loving way. Today, we're going to be discussing reconciliation. Let's all say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Reconciliation. For a lot of us, we know what that means, but I'm going to give you a real big idea. But in order to have reconciliation, there has to be correction. Correction is tuning G on my violin so that every time I go back to learning how to put my fingers in the right place to do the right thing, the instrument didn't change. It required correction to be able to operate it properly. If you don't have correction in your life, you're just going to play based on how you feel and you're gonna end up putting your life in places that people are gonna go, I don't think you're doing it right. And you go, of course I do. It sounds like Silent Night. It sounds like Mary had a little lamb. It, it sounds like ABCs. Like, I know, but do you not see that? You're having to adjust your life to sound proper. You're having to adjust your, 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 your doing your placement the wrong way, even though it sounds right, it doesn't sound like it's tuned right. Correction. If you ever study correction, there's another word that goes with it. Rebuke. If I'd have told you last week that today I was going to talk to you about correction and rebuke, none of you would have showed up. However, until you receive correction and rebuke, there can never be reconciliation in your life. Because you might assume you reconciled. I've said, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I, gosh, I live a good life. We didn't take into consideration how they live their life. It doesn't have to do anything to do with them. Are you tuned to the key of God? Are you tuned to the key of Jesus? I can't preach to you guys without preaching to myself. So if we're going to talk about correction and rebuke, I sent an email or sent a text out to four incredible people. And these four people on Friday received a, a text that said a lot like this. Good morning. I would like to give you permission to correct or rebuke any blind spot that you may see in my life that needs to be addressed. You're going to help me a lot. Would you please text me back privately? This is kind of intimidating for a leader to do. I mean, can you imagine a dad texting his kids and saying, hey, everybody, is there any blind spots in my life? Hey, is there any area of my life that I'm just assuming I got it all together? But maybe you see some areas of my life. Maybe a mom. A mom texting her sisters and saying, is there any blind spots in my life? We don't do stuff like this, and there's a reason why. None of us want what we might hear. But we may be trying to live our life in a key we think we're in, and we're not even close. 
And so when we're doing everything, the relationships we're in, the things that come out of our mouth, I mean, we're moving our fingers and we're moving our life, but people are going, I can't sing along to you because I don't think you're in the key of G. And you're going, don't tell me what to do. I know I'm in the key of G. (laughs) Does this make sense? Would you like to see the four responses I got from the four people? Would you like to know who the four people were? The four people that I admire the most, just just on a Friday, just like, I'm going to text these four people. Number one, C.G. Harden. Number two, Pastor Mondo. Number three, Heather Bean. And number four, my pastor, Pastor Lynn Shaw. They all got a text on Friday, do you see any blind spots in my life? Bring correction, is there any correction or possibly rebuke that I need in my life? How would you like for somebody, I mean, there's some people you really would like for them to give you permission to ask, but how do you think they responded? Let me show you their response. C.G. Harden, would you like to see C.G.'s response? This is C.G.'s response. Uh, I'll move this back so y'all can see. Okay. That pretty much summed up CG when it came to correction for me. Would you like to see Pastor Mondo's response? Here's Pastor Mondo's. Nope. Nope. I don't like that. I don't like that. Nope. Would you like to see Heather's response? Hang on. It's a list. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is the best one. Here was, here's was Heather's response. <laughs> yes, yes, that's how we feel sometimes. But it's like, I'm getting nauseous. I'm even thinking about bringing up anything. And this is coming from the guy saying, oh, please bring correction. And yet I got mad at her on our drive home from Dallas because she took my charger for my phone. See, stupid, <laughs> stupid stuff. But the best one, the best one, and this is, this is so great. My pastor, Lynn, Pastor Lynn in, in Twin, Falls, uh, Twin, Twin Falls, Idaho, Dr. Shaw. I text Dr. Shaw and uh, just said, you see any blind spots in my life? I thought this was one of the best pastoral father in the faith responses. This is what he said. I'm not sure how to respond to your text. I can say that there is nothing that stands out regarding whatever I may think about you being in error. I feel like our relationship is close enough that we would talk about it when or if it would arise. And this sums up my pastor in such a great way. There has been many things that over the years, I've noticed you were a hair off in the way that you thought or the feeling that you had or direction you might be going. But we worked through that. And, and I brought some stuff up. You brought some stuff up. And you were just able to course correct and, but if in the future, I feel like that we have a close enough relationship with each other that if there was anything in your life 
that you needed to be corrected on. I feel like and I'm comfortable enough that our relationship is that tight that we can talk about it. <laughs> this is a hard topic. And I thought I'd start off today with a little humor because in this message, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians. If you're in this room today and you're just trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, let me invite you into this conversation because you can't be someone who doesn't let the light in. You, you can't be a secret closet Christian. You can't let God in every area of your life, and just not these areas. You will fall on your face. You will fail. And, and in my experience, you will even blame God. Where are you, God? Where are you? What's going on? If I put my faith in you, if I prayed the prayer, I go to church, I read my Bible, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you, God. Where are you, God? And we don't even realize that it's not God who's removed himself from us. It's us who have removed ourselves from his presence because we didn't allow correction to come. To be very specific, I'm not asking you to think like I think. We're not talking about character issues, though I think that could probably be something, be something that could be in a conversation. Today, we're not talking about character issues or what I think is right or wrong. Let me be very specific on what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians. He's asking the church of Corinth, are we going to be Jesus followers or not? Are we going to be Jesus followers or not? It doesn't matter if you are vote this way or that way. It doesn't matter if you like the color red or the color blue. It doesn't matter if your skin is this color or this color. He says, there's, there's some things that people would like. I'd like to correct him in that area. This isn't a character thing. This is, do you consider yourself a Jesus follower? And if you do, as your spiritual authority, and this is Paul's writing, as your spiritual authority, I'm going to tell you, you may think you're in the key of God. I'm living for God. God, me are tight. Me and God are God. He says, I'm going to tell you, you're not living for God. That is not God. Paul, I think I am living for God. This is God. Know that God's over here. God's over here. What you're doing. And, and Paul wrote one letter. It was 1 Corinthians. He had pastored the church, he had started the church, he had gone away, and he got letters. And Paul wrote a letter in correction on five things. These five things that he corrected the church on were division. Hey, in the church, you guys are just fighting. Your heart's not right. There is no unity, there is no peace, there's no harmony you're all seeking your own selfish desires. And he addressed the division. You are a bunch of selfish, hard-headed people. This will not lead to the things of God. Number two, he brought up sex. He brought up the worst case scenario, he, an example that someone sent to him, and he said even the pagans thought this was awful. But let's just go ahead and talk about sex. And Paul brought up all the ways that so many people who call themselves followers of Christ are saying, it's okay to do this, 
God's grace, G is for grace, 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 grace. And Paul goes, grace works if you're following God. You need to be following God. Grace is awesome if you follow God, but only grace to be able to hear. That's not where he is. So grace means you're, you, you're going to be a great player someday, but today play it, quit playing. You are not following God. You keep giving yourself ex- all the assumptions. He said, are you not the temples of the Holy Spirit? This is not the way that you treat sex ever going to be, bring the presence of God in your life. You are just a hair off, but if you give this 20 years of your life, you're going to find yourself being in places that you never thought you would end up. And he brings a correction about sex. brings a correction about food. In the issue of food, he says, listen, in what you eat, you need to be aware of who's watching you. And you are a witness. And there are times to eat and there are times not to eat. There's a time to drink and there are times not to drink. And there's a time to live your life. But in your living your life, there is always a time to listen and submit your life to Christ Jesus. It, it, we do not feed our stomachs. We feed our spirit. And a hard rebuke came. Gatherings. When you gather together, he says, you are more concerned about building your kingdom than you are about building God's kingdom. Some of you are going and you're more concerned about what God can do for you than what you're going to do for God. You get upset if it rattles your time. You do not have any other agenda but your agenda. And this has got to stop. And then the resurrection. He brings up our hope and faith comes from the death of Christ Jesus on the cross and the resurrection that came from it. And he points to If we are going to live in Christ, we have got to die in Christ. And the death of our flesh is not fun to talk about. You are wrong. That is not the key of G. No matter as much as you believe it, no matter as much as you're passionate about it, no matter as much as you just assume You're not in the key of G for God. And you've got to die to your pride because when you finally do die, you will experience the life in Christ more abundantly. So what was the Corinthians' response to this? Paul gives this letter. Paul gives this letter to the Corinthians called 1 Corinthians, a five-part breakdown of a simple correction, okay? They blew up, threw their sucker in the dirt, got mad, saying, who the heck do you think you are, Paul? And Paul is shocked. He said, really? As your pastor, as reading straight from Scripture, as knowing the heart of Jesus himself, who I met with personally, and it's not just me, but it's the other believers who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus, and we know Jesus, and now we articulate to you, Jesus, according to Jesus, 
Your life is not a Jesus following life. And they quit and they threw their sucker in the dirt and they got angry. And Paul, they were really expecting for Paul to go, okay, you guys, I wash my hands of you. Forget it. And Paul does the opposite. Paul comes back and Paul makes a visit to him. And he writes other letters to him. And this time it's not a correction. It's a hard rebuke. Comes in and this time something awesome happens. After their hard rebuke, Paul, Paul busts into the front door and everybody goes, Paul, what are you doing here? And he goes, sit down. It's time for us to have a little talk. This is kind of how it happens in my head. So go with me here, okay, okay. And he goes, let me break out the violin. No, Paul didn't do that, okay. And Paul lays down, you are not Jesus followers. Just be upfront and personal. You are not Jesus followers because you are feeding your lower G case God yourself and you are not living for the upper uppercase G God. And an amazing thing happens. The majority of the Corinthian church realizes they are a bunch of idiots and they humble themselves. There was a small pocket of them that just stayed selfish, just stayed hard-headed and arrogant. But there was a large group of them that humbled themselves. And this is what Paul had to say about his rebuke. He came and he said this, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, even if my letter hurt you, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, For I see that that letter grieved you. It broke my heart too to have to write it. Though only for a little while. And the reality is, is that a correction never feels good. Unless, unless you've just so humbled yourself to want God to point out if there's anything in me. God, search me if there's any wicked way in me so that I can choose your path everlasting. And it's when we have that kind of humility, that is when our Father says, well done, kiddo. Well done. Who am I speaking to today? I'm speaking to every person who would like to be a God follower, including myself, But there's some areas that I'd really rather people not give me advice on. Oh, let me just tell you, we're not in the advice business. It's not even my opinion. We read from Scripture to find out where the true north is. And we line our life up with God, His Son, Jesus, being led by the Holy Spirit themselves directly to us. And God happens to use spiritual leaders at times. And spiritual leaders have spiritual leaders who are able to speak and we are tuned to the voice of the Father. So, I think it's very possible for every young person in this room. So all the young people, let me listen to you. If you you live with mom and dad, I think the heart of correction is being willing to give your parents your phone 
And just hand them your phone. Can you imagine this? Golly. Saying, I don't want there to be anything in my life to separate me from the plans that God has for my life. And I trust you as my parents. And the reason I trust you as my parents is because I know that you've got issues too and i got issues. But if I can't trust you, who can I trust? And I want to hand you my phone. I want to just, will you take the next hour to just go through my phone And if there's anything in that phone, if there's an app, if there's a conversation, if there's a voicemail, if there's a text, if there's anything in there that you would say, what is that? I am probably so numb to my selfish behavior. You looking with fresh eyes, I trust you. Would you search my phone? And if there's anything on my phone that does not shine a light that I'm following Jesus, I'd like for you to bring it up. But parents, this isn't excluding from you either. Can you imagine living a life where you could take your phone and hand it to your kids and say, kiddos, is there anything in my phone that you would go, dad, mom, that conversation does not point to Jesus. Whether the friend's talking or you talking to your friends, your friends aren't turning you to Jesus and you're not turning your friends to Jesus. The things, I looked at your search on Instagram, I know you probably didn't know you could do that. But I knew how. Can you imagine people being so vulnerable? But you know why people don't do it? Because correction hurts. But I can tell you this. The more that you see the benefits of it, it doesn't turn into a rebuke. It just turns into a course correction. And Paul shows us the amazing thing that comes. We don't let, don't let everybody do this. But when you allow, number one, the word of God to correct us. Number two, the people in our lives that God has put in our lives to give us the ability to take a closer look at what God has to say. And spiritual leaders, not to give you their idea of how you should live. Ladies, we are not going to start measuring dresses around here. Gentlemen, we are not going to start examining cell phones around here. But when you're ready to listen to the sermons, And when you're ready to sit down in an Ironman group, when you're ready to go to a women's Bible study and quit just showing up but actually participating, correction is a part of spiritual maturity. Paul had to say this. He says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief. That's that's. Paul's not saying that's that's not a bad grief. The grief you felt, that wasn't condemnation. Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. This godly grief is actually going to lead you to life so that you suffered no loss through us, which, which is a reminder. Do you not think sin leads to death? And sometimes it's not death immediately. It's a prolonged death. You will pay for this rebellion someday. But Paul says, because correction came and grief was felt, and it was godly grief, 
you experienced no loss and death did not have its way in you because you got to make a course correction. I see what you're saying. See what you're saying. That's not G. That's G. I'm such a moron. I, I have had to humble myself. You know why? Because correction reveals blind spots. It really does. There are things you can't see. And correction reveals blind spots. And correction also eliminates loss. Your marriage doesn't have to suffer because of your rebellion. Your kids don't. You get to have the great teenage years because you submitted to correction from a dad that pulled you aside and said, I don't want your kids to think this is how a man lives because this is not God's best for your life. I know, I know it's awkward. It's so awkward, but it's necessary. I have a question for you. How do you respond when correction comes to you? Maybe you haven't been corrected since you lived with your mom and dad. And maybe that could be the problem. The first, the first thing we have to learn is that we just don't let everybody correct us. Okay? This is first and foremost starting off with a complete surrender to Christ Jesus. I am a sinner. I have a sinful nature. God, I am not perfect. I don't know it all. And I just want to start off by saying, I am wrong. I need you. Please forgive me of my sin. And that's the first and foremost. Second is, now the word of God comes. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts both joint and marrow. It cuts right down to the heart, right down to the core. It speaks to us. And the first place that correction comes from is the word of God. You, you don't need to call a, somebody on the phone. Don't need to call a 1-888-tell-your-story you know, person that's going to reveal, you know, soothsayer or whatever. Stop. When the word of God is revealed in your life, you're going, you're, you will be able to go, oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. And then the next thing is, if you don't understand... What a joy to sit down with some spiritual leaders and, says, and say, I don't get this. I don't get how this works in today's day and age. And then they're able to say, okay, watch this. This is what Paul's saying. This is who Paul's writing to. This is what was going on in the church. And this is Paul's answer to get us back to following Jesus. And you go, oh, yeah. But you know what happens when we get corrected? We don't find the people who tell us what we need to know. We just go find someone who sees it my way. We go find people that we know are buddies, our buddies who they're never going to live for the Lord. You're the only Jesus in your life, and you're, you're so off tune. You're so off tune. I'm the God in their life. I'm, I'm the light of Christ. I don't think you're the light of Christ. Yeah. Why don't you think I'm the light of Christ? Because you look just like them and you don't look like G for God. Okay, this is stupid now. This is, I hope I'm getting your attention. See, this is why you pay me the big bucks. Okay, here we go. Okay, you don't go find people who are going to correct you. You just go people who are worse than you are so they can see it your way. 
That's not correction. In fact, Paul has a lot to say about these kind of people. In fact, Paul brings a hard rebuke. And you know what happened? They began to look for another pastor. They actually did. And there was some flashy ones. And Paul talks about them. And he says, hey, I noticed that you're not listening to me anymore. And you're now bringing in guest speakers in the Corinth church who are better looking than me. They're flashier than me. They're funnier than me. They, they, they don't stutter like me. And you know what Paul calls the people that's, that just tell you what you want to hear? False teachers. He says, they're actually encouraging you to be more like you. And they're not pointing you to our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul has this to say. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Man, that's deep. They say they're preachers, and they say they're spiritual authority. But all they are is equippers for you to be more like you. Not to be the Jesus follower you think you are. I know this is hard to hear. I hope, I, do you see why we come to church now? Because sometimes it cuts us to the core. Quick question, why, why do you think they rejected Paul? I mean, this is Paul. He was met with Jesus, complete life change from Saul to Paul. This is a man who was beaten with whips to preach the gospel, flogged to preach the gospel, shipwrecked to preach the gospel. This guy went to extreme cases because the gospel, lining your life up with Christ, surrendering your life to Christ was so important for him. Would you like to go down the list? Paul gives the reasons why they like the other preachers better than him. He says, this is why you don't like me, because I'm poor. You're so fascinated with the finances and the financial of life. Paul, you don't even get a salary from our church. And there was a reason why Paul didn't take a salary from the church. Because it was a brand new church and it just started. And he wanted the money to go towards um, improvement in, 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 in people's lives. And, and there was Christians who didn't have anything. And let's better their life. And Paul just chose a poor life so that they could get this church off the ground. But they didn't see it like that. How can, we, how can we follow a guy who doesn't handle a budget like I handle? Paul, it's just hard for me to have a pastor who doesn't know the responsibility of wealth like I have. Some of you have been blessed beyond what you even deserve. And you're letting it get in the way between you and God. You're self-centered. As much as you think you're following Jesus, you're allowing your finances and the worry of money control your relationship with Jesus. And Paul says, one reason you should actually like me, because I'm not impressed with what you got. The second thing that Paul says he says, you don't like me because I have a day job. I actually pay my own bills. 
And there were people who were so prideful, they looked at Paul as he can't even support himself with his church. He has to work on tents. And Paul says, that should be actually something that you would look and go, man, that guy, he's not lazy. He preaches the gospel at night, and he works a day job. But some of you can't see the blessing because you're so prideful. Paul says, the reason you don't like me is because I'm under constant persecution. Paul was a magnet for persecution. Paul was a magnet for trouble. He preached the gospel and the worldly people would hate him. But the people that were following Jesus, who still had a foot in the world, hated that the world didn't like Paul. And they didn't like the constant persecution. The reason they didn't like Paul, because he was homeless at times. He kept his, kept his expenses low. And another reason was, is because Paul was not impressive as a leader. They said that he stuttered a little bit. And when Paul gave these reasons of why you don't like me, but you like somebody who tickles your ear, he says, you tell me, which life is surrendered to Christ? Now, I want to tell you, I've been all of these things. Thank God I've got a salary now. Thank God that we can actually, you know, do life now. Used to, people had to give us vacations. And now we actually get to afford our own vacation. We've come a long way in 25 years, but you've got to admire Paul because he wasn't wrapped up in the things that the worldly Christians thought he needed to be wrapped up in. Paul had this had to say. He said, preach the word. Where does he say this? To a young Timothy. A young Timothy that was writing Paul and saying, Paul, I just feel like people are pulling me to be a pastor that I don't think is the pastor they need. Paul, remind me what kind of spiritual leader should I be? What kind of teacher should I be? What kind of Jesus follower should I be? And Paul wrote him back and said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season Convince people, rebuke people, exhort people with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The time is going to come when they'll push you away because you tell them the truth. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. What should we be looking for in the people speaking life to us? What should we be looking for in spiritual leaders like a Paul? Paul says, spiritual leaders come alongside you to build your faith and joy. Spiritual leaders have the ability to stir your faith to remind you where true G is. And stir your joy as well. To give you a truth that stirs your faith and causes you later to go, thank God I allowed that area to be vulnerable in my life. In your faith and your joy. Paul has this to say about it. He says, not that we have dominion over your faith, 
That's really important. I'm not here to live your life for you. I know you might have had a pastor at one point that just jumped right into your life and lived your life for you. Paul says, I'm not here to have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. I don't live your life for you. I come alongside you. And that's what we're doing in this room. We're coming along and asking the question, do we want to be Jesus followers? Paul goes on and says this about spiritual leaders. He says, the smell that you smell might be coming from you. And that kind of, kind of made it to where it would be fun to talk about. This is my point. Like, have you ever met anybody who's like, I hate pastors. I hate churches. Gosh, stinking pastors, stinking churches, stinking Christians. You know that smell? It might be coming from you. Not them. Paul says this. He says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in the triumph in Christ, which means we're here to win. We're here to win in God's kingdom, not our kingdom. This isn't your building your kingdom, church. This is the triumph that we have in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And he goes on. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. When I come and I present Christ, God looks down and says, that's my son. They're preaching my son. They're preaching my son. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. It goes on. I'm going to explain this next. It goes on. It says, to the one, we are the aroma of death. To one group of people, they smell stench leading to death. And to the other, there's another group of people, they smell life leading to life and who is sufficient for these things. Paul's saying there's two types of people in this room. When we preach Jesus and we preach repentance and we preach death to your flesh so that we can have life in Christ, when Paul says it's not about you, you led you to death. We must die to our flesh. You must surrender your life. You must surrender yourself to Christ Jesus. To one people, it stinks. To another group, it is music to your ears. God, less of me and more of you. Less of me and more of you. And to other people, they're like, how can you guys live like that? How are you guys ever going to have enough in your bank account? How are you guys ever going to have enough for retirement? How are you guys ever going to have enough for, for your vacations? How are you guys, how are you guys ever going to, how are you guys ever going to be happy? This Christian life, this, that pastor, that book you read has caused me nothing but anguish. I mean, I've, I told, somebody told me one time all I had to do was pray the prayer and I'd be a Christian. And I prayed the prayer and now they're telling me I've got to die to myself? Phew. That stinks. And then there's other people. They're going, I used to be just like you. And I got it all my way. And it wasted the best days of my life until I finally realized 
that there was people all over my life saying, it ain't about you and it ain't about you. And I had to die to my flesh. And I had to die to my flesh. And I was so proud of myself because I was a Jesus follower. And it made me mad when they said I wasn't. How can you tell? Because even if you, how can you say you love your, your God if you don't love your wife? How can you say you're faithful to your God when you can't be faithful to your wife? That's none of your business. How can you say that you're not stealing from God when you're stealing from all everybody else and you're justifying it? Can I see your cell phone? No, you can't see my cell phone. Is, is this good? Six people thought it was good. Paul continues, Paul continues, and he says this, for we are not as so many peddling the word of God. We're not peddling the word of God. We're not in the preaching business, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. And the word that we told you we were going to preach on today, it's all about reconciliation. And you know what real reconciliation means? Not that we're all getting along. Real reconciliation means that we have realized that we are deaf and sinners. And we finally let go. And because of that, we are reconciled in Christ Jesus. Reconciliation does not mean grace gives me permission to do whatever I want. Reconciliation means that I finally died to my flesh. I finally died to myself so that I could live in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Paul says something really cool. I want you to get this. I'm wrapping this up. Paul brings up an amazing, and you can read it. You can read it when you go home. He brings up, hey, you gotta, you gotta remove the veil. He says, he brings up this amazing illustration. He says, remember the story of Moses? Remember Moses was told by God, come up the mountain. And on the mountain, God gives him 10 commandments. And Moses comes off the mountain carrying the 10 commandments. Now to all the Jewish people, that's a sacred day. But Paul brings up is something incredible. He says, a list of rules is not going to save you. A list of rules is not going to, let's say you're in the room and you're like, give me the rules. I'll just keep them. Well, isn't that easy for you? It means that you can do it and not allow Christ Jesus to work it through you. And Paul says, you think a list of rules are going to save you? He says, here's what I see in the story. Moses came off the mountain carrying a list of rules that were going to guide and direct God's people, but they weren't going to save them. But when Moses came off the mountain, he had been in the presence of God, and he was glowing so much, the people said, and listen to this closely, oh, guys, you're hurting my eyes. I can't, I can't, you're hurting my eyes. 
The presence of God was so on Moses that the people were complaining about it. And so they actually got a little covering, a veil, and said, here, this will help. Let's just cover you up so that we don't get our eyes hurt anymore. Let's just cover you, let's just cover you up. Thank you. Where's the, the Ten Commandments? Okay, we got them. Thank you. We'll go read those and do everything on it, Moses. But as far as the presence of God, man, you're hurting our eyes. And Paul says, did they miss it or what? They took a list of rules and tried to live for God by keeping the rules and only got further away. But the real glory that day would have happened if they said, thanks, we'll put the rules right here. But you've been in the presence of God, haven't you? I know it hurts my eyes right now, but I feel stupid to look away. Let me, let me, let me adjust my eyes. Let me adjust. Okay, I'm able to open up a little bit more. Let me, oh man, Moses, what was he like? Moses, what did you see? Moses, oh, my eyes have adjusted to his presence on you. Quit hiding from the presence of God. Paul says this, but if, we, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, which means in time it went away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Which means they chose not to look, but how much more are you, Church of Corinth, experiencing right now the Holy Spirit revealing things in you through this correction? Embrace it. Receive it. And then, this is kind of my synopsis. You ready? Stop trying to live for God while hiding from him at the same time. It's time to be vulnerable. It's time to ask Moses to take the veil off. And I know it's painful right now. But why would I want it to be absent from my eyes? Come on, presence. The presence of God. <sighs> Finally, my eyes will adjust. But do not hold yourself back from me, oh God. Okay, listen, I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know who I'm talking to. But can I tell you, there's no secrets with your God God already knows. God already knows. So you know how silly it would be to hide any longer? He loves you so much. But you're not the Jesus follower you think you are. But that's okay. It really is. 
Because once you're honest, that's all it takes. This isn't condemnation. This is honesty. It's okay to say, God, I keep convincing you of something that's not true. I'm sorry. Number one. Number two. God, I'm ready for you to come in, correct my life, course correct my life. I pray for, for the leaders you've put in my life, the Jesus followers, the, the, the pastoral crew who come alongside the word of God and, and we walk together. And they're going to tell me some things that I already know, but it's time we have these conversations. Because this is where life begins. We crucify the flesh and we walk in the spirit. And we crucify the flesh and we walk in the spirit. Real quick, let me, let me show you some cool rebukes that took place in the Bible. Just set the mood, just sit back, good job. There's seven churches mentioned in Revelations. And each one comes with rebuke. Let's just go through them. Let's just check this out. John cared enough to write these seven churches. And they're just fascinating little things. John writes to the church of Ephesus. Hey, listen, I know you get together. I know you know everything about God. I know you have an amazing worship team. I know that you have amazing sanctuary. But do you, you are the loveless church. You are impeccable in your reputation. But you forgot how to love God and you forgot how to love God's people. Quick rebuke. John keeps writing. The church of here, Smyrna, the persecuted church. He turns to him and says, I know all hell's breaking loose on you right now. And you're thinking, we're doing everything right and everything wrong is happening. And, and, and John turns and says, No, 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 no. Don't quit doing what you're doing. Don't you quit now. Everything that you're going through right now to live for your God, one day you'll look back. This isn't your home. You'll leave this earth and you'll stand in your home in heaven and you'll turn around and you'll never remember the persecution. Don't quit doing what you're doing right now. Another church. <laughs> Capital P. They're like, they're a church. They know God, but they've got one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. And John gives a rebuke and says, you can't live like this. You can't be worldly anymore. You're gonna have to choose. Do you wanna be in this world or do you wanna pursue God with all of your heart? And it's just a quick rebuke. Uh, Church Thyantra, the wrong doctrine church. You're so great at putting on productions. You're great at this big day and that big day. And you're great at drawing a crowd. But you're not pointing people to Jesus. Quick, quick, quick rebuke. Sardis, the, spiritual, the spiritually dead church. Your heart's not in this. You're thinking about where you want to be instead of actually where you're at. It's just this amazing 
rebuke that John just gives real quick, really. He says, come back. Come back to understanding that you're taking the holy things and you're making them common. And you're, then you're taking common things and you're making them holy. Can we not go back to our love for our God? Then the church of Philadelphia, the spiritually alive church, and he just invites them, keep loving, keep loving, keep surrendering your life. And then the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, he says, some of you are cold, some of you are hot, but the people in this church just kind of rides the fence. Either get really cold or get really hot, but quit being a fence rider. There's just seven churches found in Revelation. Revelation has this to say about rebuke. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Ecclesiastes says this, it is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the songs of fools. And last and final, Paul says this, examine yourselves. Examine yourself as to whether you are actually in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you're actually disqualified. That's it. confused if, if the Bible is telling you things and it's not making sense and it needs to make sense here I want you to come see me because that's what we do and I'm not going to tell you how to live your life I'm going to come alongside you and Pastor Mondo and Pastor CG and Pastor Heather and we're going to come alongside you and I'd love to get in your chariot with you let's talk about Jesus Jesus, today I pray for this crew. I pray, Father God, the message went way longer than I thought it was going to go. Gosh, but I think it's worth it. I pray for the hearts and the lives that are in this room. And Jesus, today, don't let us stay the same. I pray that the word of God would come alive in lives and that we would not fight it, but we would surrender to it. I pray that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you come and meet with us and may we not run from you, but may we, may we invite you and may we not run from your conviction, but may we embrace it. And Father, I pray for the spiritual leaders that you've put in our life, me included, who you use to come alongside us show us how to follow you better. I speak against rebellion in the name of Jesus and I tell you to leave and any voices in lives that is just encouraging rebellion and, and encouraging uh, uh, an anti-Christ spirit, 
I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And I tell you to leave. You have no authority on these hearts, have no authority in lives from TV to the internet. I command you to silence in the name of Jesus so that we can know the voice of our Father. Lord, we love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing a worship song. And the prayer team is coming down here. Maybe you're just not ready to leave yet. You're ready to pray with somebody. They would love to pray with you. Don't be bashful. If you're ready to pray with someone, come down here.